never interviewed a college football coach in the middle of a school kitchen. Then but you really haven't been interviewed like you should be. I know. I've been dropping the ball all these years. The loudest mouth in Seattle sports. Wait, you didn't even know that? No, not really. Come on. No, I just didn't know show that. Just show just an you ounce know of professionalism. Uh, just, <laughs> just do your job. I just, oh! No regard for human did you see what that guy did? He just stripped his soul away in front of everybody. <laughs> KJR. All the places I've been, it's the best show ever. You got that right, baby. When I close my eyes, I see this thing. It's like this big sign. And the name is just so bright and so sharp that the sign, it just blows up because the name is just so powerful. Dave. Dave All right. Moeller. Here we go, baby, on a Monday afternoon. Right here on 950 KJR. Uh... Now to our last couple days of qualifying, right? In yes, the sir. ultimate football flan flyaway contest. Big flan flyaway. We'll give the flyaway. trip away tomorrow at 6 p.m. on the radio show, courtesy of Delta and Venue King. Somebody, somebody somewheres is going to win a trip for two to go watch the Hawks take on the cards in Arizona in October in Glendale. Uh, Kelly Kolestad from Edmonds is on the clock. Not sure if that's a guy or a gal, but whatever. Kelly called a stat, Edmonds, on the clock. It's an I, so that's usually a girl, right? Who knows, dude? It's 2016. Oh, this day and age, I have no idea. I don't know what bathroom you want to use. I don't know what your name is, how you spell it, whatever. I'm Kelly, offended that you even said that. Well, you should be. Kelly called a stat. Edmonds is on the clock. You got 15. Call us back, 286-9595 or 800-829-0950. And qualify yourself for the final for the trip giveaway tomorrow on the radio station at 6 p.m. I was going to say, I was this close to saying. Uh-oh. That this should be celebrated today, Monday, the 22nd of August, should be almost a national holiday for us here on the radio show. Oh? Because I was going to say it's the last week without football of the year. Next week starts game week for football fans everywhere. But, but, Uh But. that would be incorrect. That would be incorrect. To say that today is the start of the last week of the year without football would be wrong. Because technically today, Monday, August 22nd, is the start of game week. Football starts this week. It's back on. Do you realize that? Any idea what I'm talking about? Uh, What am I talking about? There's college football on the... Wait, what I saw is the first. Okay, I actually don't know that. All right, cut the music. This Friday... This Friday night at 7 Uh o'clock, the California Golden Bears and Sonny Dykes will travel to their home stadium of Berkeley, California to take on the Hawaii Warriors in the first game of the college football season. Can you believe that? Real football. This Friday night, you have real football that actually counts. You're going to go home on Friday night. You're not going to give a damn about California or Hawaii football. But you're going to flip on the TV just because you want to watch football. Now, this is football right? that you can actually watch and That's be right. convinced that it sort of, kind of matters. Well, it matters if you're a Husky football fan yeah. because uh, they've got California on the schedule in uh, early November. So we'll get our first crack at who's uh, going to replace Jared Goff at quarterback in California. But, yeah, man, uh, I was all set to say this is the last week of the year without football. And then I brought up the college football schedule and saw, no, I'm incorrect. This Friday, Hawaii at Cal, this Friday night at 7 o'clock. you got a bunch of games starting next Thursday, a week from this Thursday, uh, including the biggest battle of the uh, college football non-conference season, I think, 
Presbyterian College at Central Michigan, oh, followed by Charlotte and Louisville, Tulane, Wake Forest, Tennessee, Martin, Cincinnati, Maine is at UConn, William and Mary at NC State, Indiana at FIU, and Appalachian State at Tennessee, and South Carolina at Vanderbilt, Southern Utah at Utah, Weber State, Utah State, Rice, Western Kentucky, Oregon State, Minnesota, South Dakota, New Mexico, Montana State, Idaho, Jackson State, UNLV. Holy crap. And we're going to cover every single every- one. Every single one of them. We're going to spend 20 minutes on each team in every one of those games. We will have a writer from every game on our show (laughs) next Thursday. I mean, it's crazy, dude. Football's right here. The uh, the Huskies go uh, a week from Saturday, right? One more open weekend before the dogs go. Uh, The uh, Seahawks start going two weeks from this Sunday against the Miami Dolphins. But, hey, all that stuff can wait because the Mariner baseball team, despite what happened yesterday, and despite the fact that you people all Uh-oh. want to focus on Nori Aoki crapping his pants in left field last night. Well, I mean, it's legitimate. It was bad. The M still take two out of three against the Milwaukee Brewers. They are now in the second half of the year, 21-13, and 13, including a stellar 14-6 and six mark in the month of August. But it should be 15-5. and five. Actually, you know what? I take that back. Uh-oh. Because Nori Aoki's... I don't even know what to call that last night. Brain fart in left field. That's a nice way to put it, yeah. Uh, should have let the game stay tied. They should have had a chance to win the game in the bottom of the ninth. It was tied at six when that single fell in front of Aoki. I don't know what he was doing there. Uh, how he possibly would have thought that somebody else would have caught that ball is beyond me. Terrible. But let's face it, man. That's been a train wreck all year long with him out there in left field. The problem with Nori Aoki is just when you think like you've had enough of Aoki and you want to move on and go with a legitimate everyday defensive replacement who's not a liability in left field, Nori Aoki in the second half of the year is hitting 333 with an 818 OPS. Yeah. So he's at least bringing something to the table offensively. And but, that's, a, that's another move that they made to send him down to get right. him figured out again at the plate because he had completely lost it. But you can't fix bad defense, man. Mm. You can't fix not having the brains to be able to track a fly ball in left field. Please, when it's in your area, go get it. The only way that that would have been uh, rectified is if Nori Aoki was given a brain transplant when he went to Triple A Tacoma. All right? And uh, as far Ugh. as I know, uh, I know that medicine and uh, – all that stuff has come a long way, but the idea of a brain transplant, I think that still is maybe a couple years away. Is that covered by most insurance? Uh, Aetna does, but uh, the other big Maritain, ones Maritain, we're Maritain, yeah, right? Yeah. We can't get I brain transplants? Out. Yeah, like yeah. for example, if uh, you know Chuck Powell decides he wants a brain transplant, uh, he's out of luck. He's going to have oh, to go work for somebody else. Yeah. But hey, look, man, two out of three against Milwaukee. Uh, obviously, yesterday was not fun to watch, but two out of three overall, I think you'll take. The M's find themselves right now a game out of a wild card spot. And I looked it up that last year, after 123 games, they were 10 games worse than where they are right now. All right, they are 66 and 57. They were 56 and 67 after 123 games last night. And look, I don't know what the big conversation is right now with this Mariner baseball team. Uh, Cody Martin's going to pitch tonight. We assume, we assume Taiwan Walker tomorrow, but nothing's been officially announced by anybody. Right now, it's a question mark mm-hmm. with Iwakuma going Wednesday against Tanaka, which is going to be a giant matchup, obviously, in Japan. Yeah. And then Paxton apparently pitching on Thursday. We'll hear from Scott Service later today and get his thoughts on what's happening with that rotation. But if they can just get that rotation to just get back to a little bit of a sense of normalcy, you would think that these guys should be okay. And the other issue they have to address, and I, I, I bring this up 
And I bring it up knowing it's not really that big of an issue. Oh, boy. For two reasons. Number one, and I'm bringing it up just to have the debate, okay? Number one, we all knew when Edwin Diaz was named the closer on the 2nd of August before that game of Boston that they were going to have to be careful with his pitch count, right, and his appearances. The guy's throwing 102 miles an hour. He's got a nasty slider, incredible fastball. He's a young guy uh, getting his first real crack at closing in baseball at any level, by the way, of his entire life. So you're going to have to maybe treat him with kid gloves and be a little cautious with Edwin Diaz. But it still drives me a little bit bananas, and I'm not blaming the Mariners for this, that in a game like that last night, you know when Tom Wilhelmsen, who's been pretty damn good for them since he came back. Hasn't given up a run in August. Okay, going to yesterday, he's right? been pretty damn good. You know still in the back of your head that your best option for closing a game is in the bullpen and not out there on the mound. And what do you do about it? You know, I was looking at it this morning uh, before I got to the VMAC that there have been only two save situations since Edwin Diaz became the closer on the 2nd of August, all right? There's only been two save situations before yesterday where they went away from Edwin Diaz and they went to somebody else. And both times they worked. Tom Wilhelmsen got the save uh, on the 7th of of, uh, August, Mm -hmm. and then Nick Vincent got the save on the 10th of August. Yesterday was just the third time that they've had a save situation since they named Diaz the guy, and they haven't gone to him, and it worked out so far. I I mean, look, when Steve Ciszek was gone, they were kind of closing by committee. Uh, ever since Diaz has taken over, it's kind of been, for the most part, closer by committee with Diaz getting the majority of the work. But Wilhelmsen has saved games. Vincent has saved games. We know Ciszek has saved games before, but according to Ryan Divish with Chuck Powell today, he's just not all the way back yet, I think, where they trust him to replace Diaz as the closer. But I guess the question is, at some point in time, if not maybe this month, then next month in September, do they have to start working towards the idea that Edwin Diaz is going to be asked to close three, four consecutive games at any point in time. I mean, look, you get down to a playoff push in the final week of September. Never mind the postseason. we got to get there first. We can talk about it then. But you're telling me that in the last week of September, the Mariners are playing four or five games in a row that are all close, and they go out there and they throw Edwin Diaz out there two or three nights in a row, they're going to get to a point where they have a must-win game in the final week of the year, and they say our best option to close a game is unavailable. Our flamethrower 102-mile-an-hour freak of a pitcher is unavailable, and we're going to go with somebody else. I mean, look, at, at w- what point do they just say to themselves, it's time to get Edwin Diaz ready to be truly, and I mean truly, the everyday closer for this baseball team? Or is that even going to happen this year? Is that just out of the realm of possibility that no matter what they do, no matter how many big games they play this year, they, they're just thinking more long-term with Edwin Diaz. They want to win right now desperately, but they're thinking more long-term, and they can't sacrifice today, uh, and they can't put themselves in a position where they risk blowing this kid's arm out just to make the postseason this year. Do they get to a point this year, Kevin, where they get Edwin Diaz ready to be the everyday, no matter what the situation, closer for this baseball team? Well, I I think what they're doing is trying to say, frankly, I will say, in this regular season, no. I think the answer to your question is no. Yeah, yeah. Because I think even just for this season, they think they're going to be getting the best version of Edwin Diaz at the end of the season Mm -hmm. by handling him the way they are now. Yeah. 
and I don't even think you're talking about just what they're going to do uh, for the rest of his for the rest of the season overall, if you know what I mean. So I think they're trying to do the best for this year and the playoffs this year yeah. as well as next year. Because if you have him go four or five days in a row or whatever whatever the case may yeah. be, they yeah. just they're trying to answer both questions with the same answer, which is hard right. to do. But right. I think that's what they're trying to no, do. No, I get it. You know, they're, what they're saying and what you're saying is that, hey, look, we, we still think Edwin Diaz is the best version of Edwin Diaz when he's going three of every five games or two of every four, whatever. That if we throw him out there for that fourth game in a row, third game in a row, uh, whatever it may be at that point in time, that he's just not going to be able to give us on that night what Tom Wilhelmsen would give us or Nick Vincent would give us or what Steve Ciszek or anybody else would give us. But how do you know that until you give the guy a crack? How do you know what he can handle? Now, when Mel Stoudemire was on with us, when Jeff Nelson was on with us, when Bill Kruger was on with us, all those guys say the same thing about keeping track of his appearances. It's not just about pitch count. It's about the up and down. How many times is the guy getting up in the bullpen, uh, preparing to pitch, uh, going into a game, whatever? It's the, it's the appearances, not as much the pitch count. Well, I'll tell you this right now, that Edwin Diaz threw 34 pitches on Friday night against Milwaukee, and then apparently was just absolutely, without question, unavailable on Saturday and Sunday. Okay? He's thrown 61 pitches now. In his last two games, he threw 31 in the previous four. So he basically doubled his pitch count in two games from the previous four appearances. So, look, maybe there is a point in time where they watch him. We all watch him. Uh, we see a guy getting a bit wild at times, missing the strike zone by a mile, and we just feel like, hey, now is the time to really dial him down and bring him back in the fold a bit. Uh, I, I just wonder if there's going to be a point in time this year where the Mariners want to see what Edwin Diaz looks like when he's closing three, four games in a row. Yeah, you know, one thing I, I'm, I'm endlessly entertained and interested in the different things that you can find on Baseball Reference. And one thing they do in splits for relief pitchers is the splits based on pitch count. In the first through the 25th pitches of his of his outing, Edwin Diaz allows a 612 OPS and a 230 batting average. Okay. But 26 and beyond, he allows a 919 OPS. So that's just in one game, but you're talking about when he gets to that 26, so he got 33 pitches I believe it was on on Friday night, right? Uh 34. 34 pitches. Yep. Yep. You see him get into that danger zone where he starts to get hit pretty hard. A 919 OPS is it is an is it's is an all-star. That's a great player. Right. So I think they see that, and they see him getting to that point, and you just don't want to push it beyond what you absolutely have to do. And frankly, specifically yesterday, they felt like they were going to – I don't think this was a, well, we hate to do this, but we have to put Williamson out there. Williamson hasn't given you anything to be worried about right, this right. this month. I know, I know. So yeah, I think yeah. they felt like they were going to a guy that they were comfortable with doing. Now, we just saw – and forgive me, I was I was taking a phone call. We did just see a move in the bullpen just now. Did you mm -hmm. did you see that? I have not seen that. What so happened? Drew Storen just got placed on the DL with okay. right shoulder inflammation. Heredia back up. Heredia is yeah. back up, right. which I think is probably a maybe an indication of how they feel about what's going on in left field. Of course, but of course. I I think they're you know they just felt now now they're going to have that concern maybe a little bit of seeing all right Williamson is back to we're not sure what we're going to get out of him. 
So I don't know if that's going to change what they're doing moving forward. But I didn't feel like this was a waving the white flag. I guess we'll just put no, Williamson no. In. I didn't. I didn't. Well, no, I don't think that's the case either. But I also think that if if Edwin Diaz was available, he would have been pitching in the game. Oh, because yeah. he's a better option in their eyes than Tommy Wilhelmson. I mean, again, he's been great ever since he came back. He was terrible with Texas, got let go, and he's come back and he's been phenomenal. But the biggest reason why Edwin Diaz did not, the only reason why Edwin Diaz did not pitch last night is because he threw 34 pitches on Friday and was unavailable. That's it. So they are going to their second option or third option behind Edwin Diaz. I'm not sure if you pinned Scott Service in the poto down and said, hey, what's your second best option to close a game? They may say Wilhelmsen. They may say, you know, Nick Vinson. I, I, I would doubt they'd say Vinson, but they'd probably say Wilhelmsen. But the point is they, they weren't throwing him out there last night just because they felt great about Tom Wilhelmsen. They threw him out there because Edwin Diaz was not available. Yeah. And I just think, for me, the bottom line with Diaz is here's what's going to happen. If the Mariners get into a situation like they were two years ago and they play a week worth of games at the end of September that are all nail biters and they're all phenomenal games, dramatic, whatever, back and forth, tight, close games, the day the Mariners don't throw Diaz out there and give the ball to somebody else and the day they lose that game is the day that we get every caller in Seattle sports radio history to give us a buzz and say, where the hell's Edwin Diaz? Why isn't he out there? This is ridiculous. Is this guy our closer? He's not our closer. And really, look, I think the plan so far has worked. Okay, they're 14-6 and six in the month of August. They're 21-13 and 13 in the second half of the year. The plan, how they're handling Edwin Diaz and how they're replacing him on nights when he's quote-unquote not available, for the most part, has worked so far. And it may have worked yesterday if Nori Aoki could have caught that damn ball in left field. Who knows what happens if that thing is tied in the bottom of the ninth inning? Who knows what happens if that thing goes to extra innings? So you want to put all this on Wilhelmsen, uh, and he deserves some of it after yesterday's game. But, my God, this is the major damn leagues. Why is it so hard to find a left fielder who can catch a fly ball? Why is it so hard to find a catcher who won't brain fart and forget about a guy getting caught up between second and third uh, and just focusing on getting a, a, a guy back to third base when there's a potential out right there? You know, Ionetta apparently said that he didn't want the runner from third to score, which I kind of see, but it just felt like that inning last night, that inning, the, uh, the, the, the uh, top of the ninth yesterday at Safeco Field against the uh, – against the uh, Brewers, that that kind of felt like the kind of inning that this baseball team just cannot have and that you don't want to have and that you never expect to see out of veteran guys that are in the middle of a playoff push. So while I'm fired up and I'm jacked up about grabbing two out of three, hey, look, man, every game is gigantic. You guys know that as well as I. And to be given away potentially, given away potentially games like that because you can't do the basic fundamental things, that pisses me off. And that gets me all fired up, okay? You know, look, I don't care what you did Friday, what you did Saturday. There's no excuse to be doing the things that the Mariners did in the ninth inning in that game last night. They are professional, highly paid baseball players. Wake up, okay? There's no need for that nonsense. So we'll see what happens tonight, starting against the Yankees. Cody Martin against Michael Pineda on the mound. Sabathia tomorrow against who knows who, and then Tanaka and Iwakuma on Wednesday. Uh, We're going to hear from uh, a lot of people today regarding the Seahawks. Michael Bennett, by the way, spoke after practice this afternoon, and because Michael Bennett spoke, you're going to hear it at 418. Uh, Jermaine Effetti, Seahawk rookie guard at 5 o'clock, and then Dante Pettis will join us after UW football practice today. Uh, A lot to get to, including some talk about what's to come for the Seahawks this Thursday night. 
Uh, the Huskies go a week from Saturday and a lot more baseball talk as well on a busy Monday right here on 950 KJR. This is the Dave Muller Show. Softy. Now back to the show. Ladies and gentlemen. Be sure to watch the Mark and Mindy Marathon in Chinese on TBS. Dave Softy Muller. All right, by the way, that uh, Hawaii-California game on Friday night is in Australia. Right. 7 o'clock kickoff our time. You think the uh, Aussies are fired up for Cal and Hawaii? At ANZ Stadium, which holds uh, 83,000 people, oh, by the way. I guess the uh, the New South Wales rugby team plays there. But you think the uh, the Aussies are running around? That's not a game. This is a game. Watch this. And then pop out a rugby tape or what? Hey, Joey, want to watch Cal and Hawaii play football? <laughs> you think they're fired up for that game on Friday night? I'm, I'm curious to know what kind of crowd they get. Yeah. Because I tell you what, man, Notre Dame went to Ireland a couple years ago. Uh, I know the Pac-12 took Washington to China to play Texas in basketball last year. Mm-hmm. You'll start seeing more and more of this stuff as we get older. But I'll tell you what, I don't mind it as long as the Hawks aren't doing it and as long as the Huskies aren't doing it. Because <laughs> when they start taking home games out of Husky Stadium, or out of CenturyLink Field and putting them in Europe or, you know, wherever, Africa, Australia, South America, that's going to piss me off. Well, but, I mean, it has an adverse effect even if you're the road team. So do you not care if they're the road team, though? No, I, 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 I don't care as much, but I still don't like it anyway. Hmm. I want to see my so, teams play So what here. you're saying is NIMBY. I'm not saying, in my backyard. I'm saying that you as long do as it, it doesn't affect me. Face. You want to build a prison? Fine. Just don't build it in my backyard. Exactly. All Maybe. right? Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Fair All enough. Right. I see where you stand. Yeah. 3.30 is the time. So the Mariners uh, take two out of three against Milwaukee. Uh, they got the Yankees tonight. Michael Pineda on the mound. What's uh, Tom Brokaw's line about Michael Pineda? A pitcher who throws fast and thinks slow. On the mound tonight against the uh, the M's, which makes you kind of revisit the Michael Pineda for Ho- uh, Jesus Montero trade. And I would say the Yankees won the deal, but let's be honest, man. This is like Washington State and UW in 2008 trying to figure out which team is going winless. Uh, because Michael Pineda is 23-25 and 25 with a 4.05 ERA and a 1.2 whip. Uh, Jesus Montero is in AAA Buffalo right now for Toronto. So uh, you can talk all you want about the Yankees winning that deal, but I think both sides felt like, hey, what we got in exchange for the player we gave up is not what we thought we'd be getting. So M's and Yankees tonight. The AP poll is out, by the way. AP poll is out. Uh, Came out yesterday morning, which means showdown points for shows, not ours, by the way. Uh, we have gone from first to worst. Are you aware Why of that, we, by the way? I'm very aware. Do we have, can we focus yeah. on the fact that your football team is being really well respected? Can we focus the, on the fact that you don't know how to pick Olympic events? Sure, can I don't know how to pick Olympic fact? events. I know this. So the AP poll comes out yesterday. Uh. Washington is 14th in the AP poll, which is their highest preseason ranking in 14 years. Hey, I wonder, was there anybody on the okay. show that said we should go higher with the Huskies when we were doing the AP poll? Going back to 2002. <clears throat> I don't remember anybody of that ilk. I believe I yeah. might. He might be sitting in the chair okay. that I'm currently sitting in. Well, uh, but it was somebody else sitting in that chair. No, it was, it was, it was you. yours truly. Uh, the last time they were ranked this high period it was week five of the 2002 season uh, when they were ranked 15th in week five of the 2002 year. Uh, that's the year they are, uh, uh, excuse me, yeah, week five, 2002. They were 15th in week five of 2013, three years ago which is the year that they opened up Husky Stadium, beat Boise State, and beat Arizona 31-13, then lost three in a row. And have never seen that high ranking mm-hmm. since. 
So here we go with all the hype. The hype train continues to roll for UW football. And I guess, I guess for me, look, I, I've, I've asked people before about why things will be different for Chris Peterson versus the other coaches that Washington's had in the last decade plus, Steve Sarkeesian, Ty Willingham, Rick Neuheisel, Keith Gilbertson, yada, yada, yada. And everybody has their own take on that, on what this guy brings to the table. I just think that the Washington Huskies have never hired a head coach with the experience that Chris Peterson brings to the table. They've gone out and they've hired coaches before that have been Division One FBS coaches, Rick Neuheisel at Colorado, for example, Willingham at Stanford, Notre Dame. But nobody has showed up on Montlake with the cachet of respect that Chris Peterson has. Nobody has. I mean, it's unbelievable. At 92-12, and 12, what he did at Boise State, and I've told you guys before that I think the biggest reason why Washington's getting so much respect right now is because of him. Because of Chris Peterson, that people look at him and just think at some point in time, this guy's going to start winning football games. I just wonder, is the preseason hype justified for this team? You know, uh, we had Darrell Daniels, uh, as you guys probably heard, on the show from L.A. for Media Day. And he even came on the air and said, hey, look, I don't think we should be ranked. We were 7-6 and six a year ago. That sounds like Chris Peterson talking, that he's kind of drinking the Kool-Aid, <laughs> mm-hmm. that Chris Peterson is serving at lunchtime during training camp at UW. I think a lot of players would be jacked up and fired up to be 14th in the country unless you play for Alabama or Ohio State, then you'd be pissed off. But the bottom line is, is this hype deserved? Is it justified for Washington? And, hey, look, I could sit here and say it's not justified because the team went 7-6 and six a year ago. They have not won 10 games in a year since 2000, which is the longest drought when it comes to winning 10 games, by the way, in the Pac-12, even longer than Colorado. Uh, so I could sit there and tell you all that stuff. But what does that have to do with this year? What is what happened last year or the year before or in 2005 or in 2002? What does any of that stuff have to do with what's going on right now? And just because this team was 7-6 and six doesn't mean they can't go 10-3 and three or 11-2 and two in 2016. I mean, look at, look at Auburn a couple years ago when Auburn won the national championship uh, with Cam Newton. Look at where they were the year before. Look at where they were in the preseason polls. Then they just blow up and they win the national championship. So, you know, I saw a stat. Somebody threw it out. I think it was like Brett McMurphy of ESPN, somebody, that eight of the top 25 teams on average every year don't even end up ranked in the final poll. Hmm. So this whole thing in some ways is very silly. There's no question about that. But the great thing about the preseason polls, if there is one great thing, is it gets people talking. It gets people fired up and excited for college football. Not that you needed more reasons to be excited. It's football, for God's sakes. We all love it. But the idea that you can just create this conversation by just throwing out this meaningless Fakakta preseason poll when these teams haven't even taken a snap together in 2016, there's nothing in sports that gets people debating this early before the season starts, like the preseason college football poll. So are they deserved is the, is the ranking deserved? Is the hype justified for UW football? And I'd be curious to see what you guys think. You're Husky fans, whatever. You're not a Husky fan. I want to get your guys' take at 286-9595 and 800-829-0950. Uh, everybody around the country, at least most people that cover the sport for a living, think Washington is going to be really, 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 really good this year. All right? There are people out there, like Phil Steele, that are talking about them as a dark horse for the damn national title, all right? Which I say that, and I almost kind of got to stop myself from laughing because it sounds ridiculous. But again, 
if they're bringing back what they're bringing back from last year's group, if they've got seven guys back from a defense that was 18.8 points a game, best in the conference by far, by the way, and on top of that, and this will make Dick Baird happy, because I'm talking about the kicking game. The kicking game. They got John Ross back on kickoff return, which should scare everybody in this conference. And, oh, by the way, they got the leading punt return man in the Pac-12 back this year in Dante Pettis, who averaged 16 yards a kick, which, by the way, was number one by far Mm -hmm. in the conference last year. And they have seven guys back on defense. And they have Miles Gaskin. And they have Jake Browning. And they have John Ross back at wide receiver. And, oh, by the way, they have Chris Peterson who's used to winning every single year of his career for 20 years in a row. So I ask you again, is the hype for this football team justified? Can I just tell you, I'm not going to answer your question because I don't give a damn about your question. I'm more concerned about the fact (laughs) that I feel like the amount of hype that they've had going into this season and we're still two weeks, well, I don't know, what what do we call it, 12 12 days? days. 12 12 days. We're 12 days away from the game. I feel like the fact that you have had to been been feeling like you need to downplay the early. I'm not rankings, downplaying anything. You absolutely are. No, I'm not. It's. Te- I feel like you're not even enjoying this preseason. I am as enjoying much as it. I thought you would. How am I downplaying it? Because you're saying over and over this team. You, you're playing the company line of this team hasn't done anything, and these I I don't even okay. like these preseason polls. Okay. And they, they they're crazy. They haven't done anything yet. Who knows what they're going to be able to do? I feel like the softy that I would have if you had told me. You're about to go into a season where the host of your radio show, mm-hmm. who has an ability to get as excited about anything as anyone in the world, is going to spend the time saying, I don't even like these preseason polls. I don't like they them. bug me. I don't like them. You should be I getting like excited, them. and I feel well, like you're playing this, you're working hard to downplay stuff. Okay, first of all, I, I'm not downplaying the hype. I don't. I, I think, think the are. hype is phenomenal. I think it's great. I love the hype. Preseason polls are stupid. And they were stupid when the Huskies were unranked you, in the preseason polls. Do you realize what okay? preseason polls really are? They're all about getting fans fired up for the game. They are sports radio. That's what they're all about. That's what I they totally, are. And I agree with that. But from a tangible perspective, they don't really mean a lot. Okay? Now, somebody sent me an email saying, hey, look, the higher you start in the poll, the better chance you have of making a run to a championship. It's true. I don't think it is true. Because I it think if, I think if you are in a major FBS conference and you go undefeated, and you get the job done, you go 12-1, and one, whatever, you win your conference championship, uh, you're going to find yourself in the Final Four. All right? I don't – I mean, show me the data that says the higher you start in the poll, the better chance you have of playing in the Final Four and winning a national title. I don't think it's out there. Okay? That's number one. Number two, the preseason polls are silly. Number three, the hype is a little ridiculous, okay? F- to go from 7-6 and six to a national championship contender like some people have Washington uh, is a little insane. Even for me, I never would put him at number 7 the way SI did. But I also think that this team, yeah, has a chance to be awesome and to win the Pac-12 championship. And that team that wins the Pac-12 championship and goes to Pasadena – probably is going to end up in the top 10. I mean, this is like like Stanford in 2000 and what the hell year was it when Stanford went to the Rose Bowl with Tyrone Willingham? Whatever. They were 8-3, and three and they won the Pac-12 that year. That's not going to be the case this year. The winner of the Pac-12 is not going to be a 9-3 and three football team. It'll be a damn good football team that will be in the mix for a national championship. So on, 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 on one hand, I can sit here and tell you that I think SI is ridiculous for having UW at number 7, but on the other hand, I'm also telling you that Washington, I think, has a real legit shot to win the Pac-12 championship and go to Pasadena. And if they do that, then guess what? They'll be 
probably ranked in the top 10 if they end up in Pasadena. I guess my whole point with this cockamamie argument and discussion here, it's been so damn long since I could even have this debate with you and even talk like this on the air. I don't even know how to behave anymore. You're confused. I'm totally flummoxed. <laughs> I have no idea how to even act. Just smile okay? a little bit more. This Dude, is fun. It's Kevin, a good team. You, you got to understand, the last time Washington was getting this type of preseason hype from the polls, okay, mm-hmm. was 2002. I was 29 years old. You were younger than I am now. Okay, I was 29 the last time UW got this kind of respect. The Mariners were coming off the year before a 116-win season. Mike Holmgren was in his fourth year as the head coach of the Seahawks. That's how long it's been. So you'll excuse me just a little bit if I maybe forgot how to act when this kind of stuff goes on. So we'll come back and ask you, is the preseason hype for UW justified? Yes or no? Are they really going to be as good as the polls say they will? Your thoughts coming up next on 950 KJR. This is the Dave Mueller Show. Softy. Now, back to the show. Ladies and gentlemen. Whoa, they're a good ball club. Dave Softy Mueller. All right, hey, before we continue with this discussion about UW football, oh? uh, you hear from Michael Bennett at 418 today on the radio show. There's a lesson, I think, to be learned for all the kids out there in the audience right now. Oh. Don't lie about being robbed in Rio. Okay? Yeesh. Just a small little lesson for all the youngins out there. You ever find yourself in Rio and you get drunk and kick down a bathroom door at a gas station, just own it. All right? Don't lie about being robbed in Rio. Because Ryan Lochte, going into the Olympic Games, had four endorsements, right? He had Speedo, uh, Gentle Hair Removal, Airweave, and Ralph Lauren. I have not heard of two of those four companies. And all four of those companies have now said adios to Ryan Lochte. He's lost every single endorsement he's got over what happened in Rio. So really, you know, just the whole thing's ridiculous, obviously. When I heard the original story about what happened, I was like, dude, why not just cop to it? You know, you got a little aggressive. You kicked down a bathroom door. You had to pee. We've all been there. And you reimburse the guy for the damage and you move on. I, I mean, done. I will say, looking into it a little more, it does. There are some things that still seem a little strange to me, mm-hmm. but the fact is, he also lied to his mom. That is, did uh, you read that? Because yeah, the, the original his mom story, called a reporter and told him what happened. Well, she saw a reporter on the bus, and she was kind of broken up about the whole thing because her son had just gotten in all this trouble. Yeah. He lied to his mom. Yeah, that's not good. Really, dude, you're gonna lie to your mom? Well, listen, there's Come a on. there's a lot of people I don't mind lying to. My mom is not one of them. I, I lied okay? to my mom once when I took twenty dollars yeah. out of her purse, and I haven't yeah. lied since because I well, felt bad. It's just uh, it's a horrific reaction and a horrific thing to deal with when you know you've lied to your mother. Did Ugh. you, David? Did you lie to me? And it just dangles in thin air, right? Oh, that question just painful. stays there. Oh, uh, I don't know. You know, it's just you're screwed either way. I, I didn't Come mean on. to. Don't lie to your uh, mom and don't lie about being robbed in Rio. Otherwise, you lose every endorsement dollar you have. So Michael Bennett, 418, Jermaine Effetti, 5 o'clock tonight. All right, so here we are. The AP poll comes out yesterday. Uh, the Huskies go a week from Saturday. Seahawks two weeks from Sunday. Mariners play the Yankees tonight in a big series against New York. Uh, is the hype for Washington football justified? Do Washington football fans running around this city, listening on iHeartRadio, wherever you are, do you really believe in your heart, honestly, that this team is going to be as good as people across the country think they will be? Yuggy on line four. What's going on, man? 
How are you, buddy? Good. Swell. Good. What's happening with you? Well, just chilling, man. Waiting to play some golf as soon as the weather gets good around here. But it finally started to be summer here for finally. So yeah, and then, and then and then football season starts. Yes, right. Yeah, 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 so you're screwed. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, yeah. hey, uh, you know, before the break, you talked a lot about uh, the, the what the Huskies have coming back and strength and that sort of thing. And I know you're out of practice a lot, uh, calling everything equal, and they stay healthy. What is the weakness that we have to worry about? Uh, for me, I think it's the offensive line. I really yeah. do. And I think uh, I think that's an easy out for a lot of people, an easy out for me, because it's kind of an obvious one. Uh, I was thinking about that today, that they really feel like I think they've got the left side of the offensive line nailed down with Trey Adams and my boy Jake Eldren Camp from Bellevue High, Coleman Shelton at center. But I think the right guard spot and the right tackle spot Probably still up in the air for the final week and a half, two weeks of football. And I just think, just like the Seahawks offensive line, it's it's amazing how every year there seems to be a parallel between UW football and Seahawks football. And I think both uh, teams right now are dealing with the same thing. And I would ask the same thing from both units, from the Husky offensive line and from the Seahawks offensive line. Just don't stink, right? Just don't suck. If you can just be average, there's no reason why both teams can't do some great things this year. Do you you think in both cases the running backs can make up for some of those mistakes, though, like Gaskin as great as yeah. he was last year, yeah. and with Rawls coming back healthy, do you think those guys can kind of cover up some of those mistakes? Well, there's no doubt, and you would think, man, and I appreciate the call, buddy, all right? Yeah. You would think that Washington last year, last year the Huskies averaged over 30 points a game, okay? Which you would think, hey, that's pretty good. I would. Do you realize where that was in the Pac-12? Uh, since you're asking, I'm going to yeah. guess it's not top 10. It was like... Or not top 6. Yeah, well, it's like 8th in the conference. Hmm. All right, bottom half. Still a 12-team conference. Bottom, yeah, good. yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, come on. 30 points a game should be plenty. You should be fine and happy and doing backflips with 30 points a game. Not in this conference and not in this version of college football. But with this defense, 30 yeah. points a game, no I think you do feel pretty good about it. Well, it's a different, you're looking at a different scale when you're taking exactly, the game down low. Exactly. The, uh, well, the difference is it's the consistent 30, meaning you score 56 one week and then 12 and the then next. 24 the next yeah. or 61 week and 14 the next. And you look at the defense, man. The defensive hype, I think, is totally justified. There's a small little birdie inside of my brain that's wondering about the guys they lost from last year. Are we not making enough about Brian Clay, Travis Feeney, uh, players like that, uh, Tani Tupo, whatever. But let's face it, man. Every game Washington played last year, with the exception of, I think, the Utah game. And you might want to just double-check this. Somebody out there fact-check this, like you're fact-checking Donald Trump. Somebody call CNN. All right? That every game they played, with the exception of Cal, they held their opponent to under their season average. That means USC. That means Stanford. That means Oregon. That means Washington State. All those teams came and played Washington, and every single one of them were held to under their season average. So if the defense can do that again, and the offense can be consistent, offensively, hey, maybe you average 28 points a game, but you don't have the day where you score 14 or 17. You're literally scoring 24-plus in every game you play, right? Mm -hmm. And if you do that, if this defense does just what they did a year ago, then they should be golden. Scott is out in Redmond. Hi, Scott. You're on the air. Go ahead, man. (laughs) (laughs) Scotty. Hey, I got your picture you sent me, by the way. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. You know what? I mean, you talk about Bellevue because the last three – Guards on the Husky team are all belly grass, but here, here's what I got going on here. I mean, everybody's touched base, but as the Huskies, I believe in the hype. I think they're about a 14 seed, I mean, in the polls, because mm-hmm. 
based on the defense. But here's what I want. Don't laugh at this. Uh-huh. We need to win oh, the we win the, win the Northwest. God, is this the year we get to beat Oregon? What's the I Northwest? Swear that's my, my my most thing. You know, I mean, Stanford's gonna be a tough game and stuff. Can we win Oregon, Oregon State, and Washington State? Those are gonna be some tough games to get to that where we want to go. And Chris Peterson's on the path, but you know, we got we got a great defense. I mean, look at the last three years. But we have eight guys that came off there that were almost first round draft picks. Marcus Peters, yeah, he got kicked off the team, but he was all pro last year. And um, but the thing is, we got we got some stuff going on this year, and I believe it because Steve Davis actually wins games, and it's kind of funny, like you said, oh, yeah. about the balance and offense. Yeah, now, if we yeah. can get a little bit of stuff, we we got thousand yard rushers, we got a quarterback that just seems to win. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a winner, and you know, on the defensive side of the ball, we got some stuff going on. But the thing is, all right, Scotty, yeah, I got uh, you. You're starting to babble a little bit. All right. Okay. I'm, I love you. You're starting to babble. I'm going to let you go, Scott. Bye. You just go have a good night. All right, pal. I'll get some rest for tomorrow. Big day tomorrow. Okay, pal? Big day. Okay, bye. Go rest up. Uh, they got some stuff on defense. There's no doubt they have some stuff on defense. Do they, they want to win the Northwest? That's an old Rick Neuheisel thing going back to the day from the Oregon, Oregon State, Wazoo uh, 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 trio of games. But you know what is funny about that? People like to bust Neuheisel's chops about it. It actually worked because they won all three of those games. I think the goals for UW football this year are higher and they're loftier than just winning the Northwest, like winning the Pac-12 North, like getting to a Rose Bowl. What would the reaction be in this town if Washington got to a Rose Bowl? Good God, you think I'm insufferable now? Wait till Washington gets back to Pasadena and I not just kiss but lick the ground I walk on when I walk into that stadium for the first time in 16 years. 355 headlines with Neil Scott from Safeco Field. Michael Bennett coming up at 418. Don't miss it right here on 950 KJR.